Today's scripture reading is taken from Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 to 10. And if you are using the Bibles in the pews, that's page 916. Galatians 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. May God help us to hear his word. Thanks, Fiona, for reading scripture for us. And a very good morning to all. We are in the final chapter of Galatians, so let's uh, pray and commit our time to God again. Let's all join our hearts in prayer. Dear Father, we pray indeed that you would speak to us, open our hearts to hear from you. Bless us, we pray, in your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, would you describe yourself as uh, spiritual but not religious? Uh, the number of uh, religious people in Singapore is falling. Uh, I think in the recent census, uh, just about 20% of the population has no religious affiliation and the numbers are going up. You know, but even as religiosity declines in our country, interest in spirituality is growing. So I think more and more people are saying that they are spiritual but not religious. What do we mean by spiritual? I think even among Christians, there is confusion about the definition of spirituality. For some, spirituality means private acts of devotion, like having a quiet time, reading the Bible, praying, perhaps going on a, a spiritual retreat. You know, I know some of, some of us do silent retreats, but we're not allowed to talk about that. You know, maybe some of us are too busy to be spiritual. You know, the daily grind of life in our homes, at school, at work, at church, leaves us with neither the time nor the energy to pursue spirituality. You know, past Christians have felt the same way. In the 5th century, a monk named Simeon wanted to get away from it all. He wanted to get away from other people and the distractions of life. So Simeon found the pillar among the ruins of a building, and he built a small platform at the top of this pillar. And he resolved to live the rest of his life on top of this pillar to practice his personal devotions undisturbed by other people. Uh, ironically, when he did that, he attracted an even greater crowd. 
So what did Simeon do? He moved to a taller pillar. Uh, at the end of his life, you know, he started at the, on a pillar about three meters off the ground. And at the end of his life, it, he was said to be about 15 meters off the ground. You know, maybe we are not planning to go to such lengths or heights to pursue spirituality. And maybe for some of us, our idea of spirituality is a bit more modest. Maybe it simply means experiencing an uplifting worship service or perhaps having some kind of other spiritual experience in our lives. You know, others perhaps reacting against you know, emotionalism or mysticism think spirituality just means knowing our Bibles well and having good doctrine. Well, for the false teachers in Galatia, they had their own version of spirituality as well. For them, uh, being spiritual meant being circumcised according to the Old Testament law. Is this what spirituality means? What is true spirituality? So far in Galatians, we've seen how spirituality is centred on the person and work of the Holy Spirit in us. And how do we receive the Spirit? Paul has said in chapter 3, not by works of the law, but by hearing the gospel with faith and trusting in Christ alone. Now, this is so important for us as we think about spirituality. You know, Galatians tells us that true spirituality isn't something we attain by our own works. True spirituality is a fruit of the gospel. Jesus saves us by His grace, gives us His Spirit to transform us from the inside out. You know, that's why Paul says in chapter 5, verse 25, that we heard Uh, Caleb preached from that passage last week. He says in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. True spirituality isn't individualistic or self-centered because Paul says in the very next verse, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So it goes from talking about keeping in step with the Spirit and immediately says this is how we live together as a church. So true spirituality isn't concerned or isn't merely concerned with personal growth or fulfillment. Our passage today shows us what life in the Spirit looks like. And life in the Spirit means community with other believers. This is what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. So beloved, true spirituality is not about me, It's not about just you living your life on your own. True spirituality is about us helping one another to grow in Christ together. And we keep in step with the Spirit by showing the fruit of the Spirit in how we love and serve one another. So last week's passage and this week's passage are actually meant to be read together, right? Last week, we heard the big principle, keep in step with the Spirit. This week, we're going to hear about how what that looks like. And then Paul says in this passage, it means loving and serving one another. This is what it looks like in practice. And Paul gives us four commands and one encouragement in our passage. So let's go through the four commands and then we'll finish off with a look at the one encouragement. So command number one, restore one another. Verse one, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, beloved, do we wonder why God gathers broken people like us into a local church? I think sometimes we wonder, it seems less complicated to live the Christian life on our own. You know, less complex, more straightforward. You know, but if we come together, then we step on one another's toes, don't we? We offend people and people offend us. You know, but God brings us together for the very purpose of bearing fruit, the fruit of the Spirit in us. You know, think about the fruit of the Spirit that we read about last week. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I would put it to us that we can't practice the fruit of the Spirit on our own. I think it's quite obvious if you look at the, some of the aspects of the fruit, like love. Right? Who are you going to love if you're on your own with no community? Who are you going to be patient with? Who are you going to be kind to? Who are you going to show gentleness to? Right? The fruit of the Spirit don't make sense on our own. So verse 1 tells us how we are to help one another fight sin as a part of our life together. I think verse 1 starts out in a very encouraging way. Paul calls the Galatians brothers. It is a bit more encouraging than, or it's more gentle than what he started out in chapter 3, calling them foolish Galatians. Here he calls them brothers. So for all of their struggles with false teaching, they are still family. I think Paul models for us in 6 verse 1 what it means to love our brothers and sisters and to help them to walk in Christ and to put off sin. So Paul calls them brothers, indicating that we are not isolated, disconnected individuals. We are spiritual siblings who belong to one Heavenly Father and therefore we should care for our brothers and sisters especially for their spiritual well-being. You know, this verse speaks very honestly about how the church will continue to struggle with sin. We will still struggle with sin. On this side of eternity, there is no perfect church. You know, yes, we are already justified in Christ, but we're not yet fully sanctified. You know, the word caught in verse 1 reflects the deceitfulness of sin. And the, the image is of sin sneaking up on us, taking us by surprise, catching us unawares. You know, for example, uh, you know, I'm at home in my study preparing a sermon, you know, quite a spiritual activity, I would think. You know, then one of my sons enters my study and he comes in without knocking, breaking my concentration. So what do I do? Annoyed, I lash out at him with impatient, unkind words. You know, see what happened there? You know, it's, a, it's a seeming spiritual activity, but sin has caught me unawares, even in the midst of sermon preparation. Right? That's, that's what it means to be caught in transgression. So how should we respond when a brother or sister stumbles into sin? Paul gives us helpful instructions in verse 1. But, but first, let me kind of tell us what we should not do. We should not be indifferent. Right? You remember the, this, there was this brother who was indifferent 
to his brothers, to his brother in Scripture. His name was Cain. And then he carelessly questioned God, am I my brother's keeper? So don't be indifferent to a brother or sister when they stumble into sin. Don't be self-righteous and judgmental. You know, we may be tempted to look down on the person, maybe to point the accusing finger, saying, I told you so. We may be given to gossip about them. Right? We don't talk to them, but we talk around them. We talk behind their backs. So don't be, self, don't be self-righteous and judgmental and certainly don't gossip about them. Now, these are unloving responses. So Paul calls us instead to restore, restore a brother and sister. You know, the word restore in, in New Testament times was used as a medical word. And the word restore meant in medical settings to set a dislocated bone. It was used by doctors to describe how they would put back a bone that was out of joint. So to restore means to correct a brother or sister that they may regain their spiritual health. Right? That's really important. Right? We don't correct them simply to win an argument or to come across as better than them but we restore them so that they may be healthy again. They may be whole again. Now, how should we do this? Paul says, in a spirit of gentleness, see, gentle, the fruit of the Spirit, being exercised here in verse 1, being put into practice. So restore them in the spirit of gentleness. Don't be harsh or impatient. You know, as, as a parent, I need to keep reminding myself to be gentle with my sons. Even as I correct them, even as I discipline them, I need to be gentle, not harsh or impatient. Uh, Paul calls us to be humble as well, not self-righteous or holier than thou. Right? Remember, he says in verse 1, keep watch on yourself. Keep watch on yourself. Why? Because lest you too be tempted, we are subject to the very same temptations. We all wrestle with sin. You know, if we remember that, if we remember that we ourselves suffer temptation, we, we're actually in a better place to help those who are being tempted. You know, remember the gospel. Right? We've seen the gospel all through Galatians. And why, why is that so important that we are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone? Why, why are these truths so precious? not just because they are doctrinal truths, but because they help us to be gentle with one another. If, if I realize that I'm a sinner saved by grace, through faith alone in Christ alone, not by my works, and how can I come to someone as if I'm better than them and talk down to them? I can't. So, so Paul wants us to remember the gospel, how this gospel has saved me, and you, and this enables us to come to one another in a spirit of gentleness, to restore one another to spiritual health. We are all sinners, saved by grace. You know, so Paul says those who are spiritual should restore others. Now, who are the spiritual? You know, these are not an elite group of Christians, so as if the church had spiritual people and non-spiritual members. no. Remember, Jesus gives the Spirit to all who have faith in Him. 
Therefore, if we are in Christ, we have the Spirit, and we are spiritual because we have the promised Spirit. So when Paul says, you who are spiritual, he's referring to Christians, those who have trusted in Christ, those who have received the Spirit as a gift from their Savior. And this same Spirit helps us in our weakness. This Spirit enables us to bear fruit, as we've seen in chapter 5. So be encouraged, beloved. You know, sometimes when we think about discipling one another, we, we think sometimes as mentors and mentees, is that even a word? You know, so we think that you know, I, I need to be kind of better in order to disciple someone else. Well, that's not true. I think this passage reminds us that we disciple one another not from a position of strength or accomplishment, but out of our weakness and our common need for grace, right? So we all can disciple one another because we all have received the same spirit through the gospel. We all are in common need for God's grace and we can help one another and point one another to this same Savior who helps and strengthens us. You know, we can disciple one another because we know what it means to rely on God, not because we have a lot of experience or are greatly accomplished in the Christian life, but we can disciple one another because we depend on Christ together. And therefore, we can point others, not to ourselves. You know, discipling is not about pointing people to ourselves and saying, look at me. But discipling is about pointing people to Christ and saying, well, look at me as I follow Christ as well. Not just look at me, but look at me as I follow Christ. That's what discipling is about. We can all do that for one another. Command number two, bear one another's burdens. Verse two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So helping one another to pursue holiness is one way of bearing one another's burdens. But besides our struggles with sin, other burdens also weigh us down. Suffering, sickness, sorrow, disappointment, discouragement, depression, despair. You know, these are just some of the many burdens of life, you know, the, the crushing load of life in a fallen world. It's too heavy for us to bear on our own. We're not meant to live the Christian life alone. We need the church, and the rest of the church needs us. God saves us into a spiritual family for our good. And he makes us one in Christ that we might encourage one another. You know, God has joined us to this local church for this very purpose. Every one of us are members of this same body and together we help the whole body grow in love. You know, fellow, mem fellow members of GBC, this is what we've committed to do for one another you know, as Corey mentioned earlier during the interview, we help one another live out the covenant that we've made with one another. And we will, we will be wel we're welcoming new members into our church today through baptism and transfers. So get to know them and care well for them. You know, remember the words of the, of the members' covenant. We will be devoted to one another in brotherly love, to watch over, pray for, patiently bear with, forgive, encourage, and admonish one another with love, 
humility and gentleness. That's what we commit to as fellow members of GBC. Not just people that we are friends with, but fellow members, all of us together. So we begin by knowing and being known by one another. I think this is obvious, right? because how can I bear your burdens unless I know you? <laughs> unless I know what you need? I think this is an encouragement to all of us to be intentional about connecting with one another. You know, some suggestions for us, you know, if you're a member of the church, get a copy of the membership directory from the church office. There's little photographs of each member. You know, take, take the time to just pray through the directory, maybe a couple of names a day. And if you see those faces on a Sunday, you know, go up to them and say, hey, I prayed for you this week. By the way, I'm so-and-so. <laughs> I think it's a wonderful way to connect with other members of the body, not just the circles that we know, but those that we don't know as well. We can help build relationships with one another. And on Sundays, it's so encouraging to see us come a bit earlier before the service. Can I just encourage all of us to continue doing that? Come earlier before the service and leave later. You know, as Caleb mentioned, there's tea and coffee downstairs, so stick around after the service. You know, these times before and after the service are precious. You know, these are not sort of intermission times, but these are ministry times when we do ministry with one another in the life of the body. So coming earlier, leaving later, you know, that, that's precious ministry time. And I pray that more of us would do that, to come earlier and to leave later after the service. Come for the, come for the monthly prayer meeting. Attend the quarterly members' meetings. And these are just ways that we hear about what's going on in the life of the body. Why? So that we can better know and be known. So that we can better love and serve one another. You know, join a CG if you're not in one. Host a CG or, or even think about leading a CG. You know, email these new members. Be hospitable. You know, welcome people into your lives. Make time for one another. I think maybe we all need to hear this living in a place like Singapore, we need to budget time. We need to make time for one another. You know, also, be willing to share our burdens with one another. You know, I know it can be hard to be vulnerable about our struggles with someone else. Maybe your trust has been broken in the past and as they say, once bitten, twice shy. But can I still encourage us to find someone we trust and to be vulnerable with them, with our struggles. You know, this is why we as a church need to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Christ-like qualities such as love, patience, kindness, and gentleness help us to be a compassionate place of refuge for the weak and weary. You know, the church is a gathering of redeemed sinners. Not, we are not a perfect people. We're not even a good people. You know, so I pray, you know, pray for our relationships with one another. Pray for our relationships to deepen. You know, if, if someone shares their struggles with you, you know, pray for grace to listen well, to be quick to listen, slow to speak. Pray for grace to be merciful, not judgmental, and to be faithful, to hold what they share with you well, to steward it well and not to gossip behind their backs. 
You know, our health as a church depends on every one of us being involved in this vital burden-bearing ministry. Our health as a church depends on it. And we can help in many different ways. And I praise God for the many wonderful examples that I see among us. You know, some of us bear burdens by giving practical help, by preparing meals, cleaning house, moving house. Some of us help by providing transport rights to church or from church to home. Some of us help by babysitting. Others bear burdens by offering warm hugs, by kind words of comfort, by being present when there's a bereavement. Some of us offer a shoulder to cry on and we all pray for one another. So, beloved, there are many different ways that we can bear one another's burdens, and I pray that we as a church would grow in doing that more and more. You know, most importantly, you realize that we, we're not just doing good to one another when we bear one another's burdens, but we obey Jesus. This is what it means to follow Jesus, right? We obey Jesus when we bear one another's burdens. So, to live a disconnected life away from church community is disobedient. It's sin. Because Paul says here, we obey Jesus, we fulfill the law of Christ when we bear one another's burdens. You know, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So we bear one another's burdens because Jesus has borne our burden. He's taken the weight of our sin and guilt, a burden that none of us could ever bear on our own. Now, beloved, if God loved us in this way, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, by this, we witness to the world that we are Jesus' disciples if we bear one another's burdens. This is evangelistic, you realize. You know, when we bear one another's burdens, we are making Christ known. Command number three, be humble. So what will prevent us from loving and serving one another? You know, in a word, pride. Pride makes us think of, to think more of ourselves and less of others. Pride also makes us think of ourselves more and think of others less. So immediately after that, in, in verse 3, Paul says, if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. You know, how we view ourselves affects how we treat others. If we think of ourselves more highly than we ought, we will not stoop to bear the burdens of others. Why would I want to get my hands dirty when I'm up there? Neither will we share our burdens with others because we don't think we need help. So how do we put pride to death? We need to put on our gospel glasses and see ourselves as God sees us through the lenses of what Christ has done for us. You know, once we were guilty rebels against God, we were dead in our sins, we were once foolish and disobedient. But Jesus saved us, not because of our works, but according to his mercy. 
Jesus died on the cross to bear God's wrath for us that we might be forgiven and brought back to God. And Jesus rose from the dead to give us new life, to give us His Spirit. And our salvation from start to finish is entirely a gift from God. And we, we need to realize that we are nothing in the sense that we contribute nothing to our salvation. So, you know, a, a false gospel of faith plus works will ruin our relationships with one another. If I think I can be good enough, then I will either be conceited and look down on others who fall short of my standards, or I will envy those who appear better than me. Now, the false teachers were arrogant and self-righteous. But Paul says, let each one test his own work, verse 4, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. You know, the false teachers were boasting in their proselytes, right? They were saying, hey, look at me. I'm so successful. I have so many followers who are circumcised. And Paul says to them, don't boast in yourselves in that way. Don't boast in your neighbor because you have to bear your own load. You know, what, what does he mean? Didn't Paul just command us to bear one another's burdens? You know, why does he now say that each will have to bear his own load? You know, Paul isn't talking about how believers are to help one another here, but rather here he's referring to how each one of us will have to answer to God for how we have lived. We can't compare ourselves with others. And when Paul says his reason to boast will be in himself alone, he doesn't mean proud boasting in our own works. He means that each one of us will boast in how Jesus has saved us. That, that's the kind of boasting that Paul has in mind. Do we know Jesus ourselves? Have we trusted in Christ ourselves? For example, we cannot point to the faith of our Christian parents. No, each one of us is responsible for personally believing in Jesus. Our parents cannot believe for us. Growing up in a Christian home, doing Christian things, hanging out with Christians, these are not bad things, but they cannot save us. We need to trust in Christ ourselves. So that, that's what Paul is urging here in verses 4 and 5. Don't boast in your neighbor. Consider the state of your own soul. Have, are you trusting in Jesus? And, and Paul is saying to us, be humble. See how Jesus is the one who saves us and come to him. Command number four, share with one another. Verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. You know, here in, in this verse, you realize how true spirituality is not pie in the sky, but true spirituality is very down to earth and very practical. True spirituality means paying your pastors. <laughs> Scripture says every local church is led by a team of elders, and among them, some will be primarily responsible for preaching and teaching. So as Paul says elsewhere in 1 Timothy 5, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honour, especially those who labour in preaching and teaching. Therefore, when Paul talks about the one who teaches here in Galatians, he's probably referring 
specifically to the elders who devote time and effort to preaching and teaching. Now, we typically refer to such elders as pastors, although in Scripture the titles elder, pastor, they refer to the same office of leadership. And Paul commands Christians to share all good things, which means financially supporting the pastor's elders who regularly preach and teach God's Word. You know, speaking as an elder who is on staff, I'm grateful for how the church supports me and allows me to give my time fully to preaching and pastoring. So thank you for doing that for me as well as for the other elders who are on staff. You know, but of course, can, can this be abused? Yes, it can. You know, there are false teachers who use the church to make themselves rich. You know, for this reason, the Bible warns elders against greed. For example, in 1 Timothy 3, an elder must not be a lover of money. 1 Peter 5, he must not pastor for shameful gain. You know, but the, the opposite can happen as well. Churches can take unfair advantage of those who serve. You know, some use the purse strings as a way of controlling their pastors. Others keep their pastors humble by keeping them in a state of relative poverty. Perhaps this was what was happening in Galatian, in the Galatian churches. So Paul urges these Christians to be generous. You know, to be spiritual means to care about money. To be spiritual means to use what we have and to be generous with our money and possessions. You know, I, I love the language that Paul uses here in this passage. He doesn't simply say, pay your pastors. No, he, he, the language that he uses is more relational, right? Share all good things. Be generous. Bless others with the good things that God has blessed you with. Don't give sparingly or grudgingly. Don't give our leftovers, but give our good things. Right? Care for those whom God has placed over us to teach us the word. And you notice that the sharing language also means that the pastor is not an employee and the church is not an employer. The word share is the language of partnership. It's the language of fellowship. So when we support those who teach, we partner with them in the work of the gospel. That's what it means to share all good things. It means we come alongside as fellow Christians and we partner for the work of the gospel. We don't all do the same things. There's some whom God sets apart for full-time ministry, but we all partner to the same ends to advance the gospel. All of us are partners. We, we are co-laborers, not consumers. And I think this God very providentially have us, has us in this passage the week before our budget meeting, next Sunday. So even as we discuss dollars and cents, you know, remember, friends, remember, beloved, that our budget is a deeply, deeply spiritual matter. It's not just about dollars and cents. It's a spiritual matter because how we spend or not spend reveals what our hearts value. It reveals what we treasure. It reveals what we are trusting in. 
If, if we value the gospel, then we would use our resources to invest in the growth of the gospel. Well, let's steward our resources well to raise up more men and women for gospel work. You know, if, if, we, if we value the word, then we would value those who teach the word. And we would value developing people to teach the word faithfully. Right? You realize how we use our money reflects what we truly value. If we value the preaching of the gospel, if we value the work of the gospel, then we would spend for the good of the gospel. Not for the good of ourselves, but for the good of the gospel. So I pray that as we think about our budget, we will steward our resources well to raise up men and women for the work of the gospel, to grow gospel ministries here and beyond through church planting, strengthening other local churches. You know, don't hoard or trust in our reserves for our security. Our security is found in God himself. Share all good things. Share all good things. This, this is true spirituality. You know, see how practical it is? Share all good things. One encouragement, you know, Paul sums up these commands in verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Right? True spirituality simply means to do good to others. Now, beloved, keeping in step with the Spirit means loving and serving everyone, non-Christians and Christians alike, you know, especially our spiritual brothers and sisters in this household of faith. Yeah, but it's also true that we often grow weary of doing good. Right? I think Paul, as a very wise pastor, he, he mentions that here in this passage, don't, don't grow weary. Now, how do we grow weary? We become tired, we become distracted, we become lazy, you know, we get impatient, frustrated or discouraged when the results are not forthcoming. We struggle with disappointment when we suffer rejection or opposition. You know, what will motivate us to press on and not give up. So Paul encourages us with this fundamental spiritual principle in verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So we will reap what we sow because God is just and he knows everything. And we cannot mock God. We, we cannot live our lives in an indifferent way and think that God does not see. Right? God is not mocked. There will be consequences to how we live. And Paul says there are basically two kinds of sowing, basically two ways to live. One is to sow to the flesh and that leads to death. Sowing to the Spirit leads to life. You know, our flesh, our old sinful natures, these are opposed to God. And our old sinful nature, our flesh, has no power to save. So if we insist on living our way, 
according to our wisdom or the wisdom of this world, we try to justify ourselves by our flesh, and Paul says we will reap judgment or corruption. But there's another way, right? Another way of sowing. Paul says if we trust in Jesus and we live in the power of His Spirit, we will reap eternal life. That's the encouragement. Well, there's a bit of a warning, but there's also encouragement for those of us who trust in Jesus. We will reap eternal life. You know, this is not salvation by works. Remember, Paul's been talking about how we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. You know, Paul, Paul, said, Paul says that the, Jesus gives us His Spirit to give us new life. And if we are rooted in Christ, His Spirit bears fruit in us. And His Spirit is the one who empowers us to live a new life in community. His Spirit is the one who helps us to restore one another, bear one another's burdens, to be humble and to share with one another. So true spirituality means sowing to the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit in these very practical ways. In a moment, our closing song will remind us of our eternal reward. We will reap eternal life. Have we grown tired of doing good? I pray that God will use this passage to remind us of Jesus, to remind us to look beyond our present problems to our heavenly hope. I love the opening stanza of our closing song. It says, The sands of time are sinking, the dawn of heaven breaks, the summer morn I've sighed for, the fair sweet morn awakes. Dark, dark hath been the midnight, but day spring is at hand, and glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. This, beloved, is the eternal reward that Jesus has promised for us. If we continue to sow in the Spirit, we will reap glory. In His time, Jesus will return. So let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season, according to God's perfect timing, we will reap if we do not give up. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you and praise you indeed, for you are a gracious God. We thank you for Jesus who saves us by his grace, who loved us with an everlasting love, has brought us into your household and given us your spirit. Father, we praise you for the gospel. We pray that we would be a people who live by the spirit, who keep in step with the spirit. Grow us, we pray, in love for you as well as in love for one another. We pray that our life in community would truly bring you glory as we display the beauty of Christ together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.